Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, as we look at five deceptions corrected by God's word. Now let me just share a little story, because here you have a storm coming up, but out in the Midwest, there was, uh, they had problems with tornadoes. And it was one evening, one morning, really, about three o'clock in the morning, a tornado hit. People weren't ready for it. And it took the roof off a farmhouse. And not only did it take the roof off the farmhouse, it grabbed the bed in which the farmer and his wife were sleeping and picked it up and carried it over to the next county, set it, set it down, and they weren't hurt or anything, just laid there on that bed and finally he looks at his wife she's just crying like crazy he says honey don't be scared don't cry don't be scared we're we're safe we're all right she says i'm not crying about that he says what are you crying about she says this is the first time we've been out together in 11 years <laughs> uh, guys don't wait okay all right <clears throat> Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17 is our text, last chapter, last book of the Bible. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come. <clears throat> Excuse me. And whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Now shall we pray. Father, Help us to rightly divide your word today. I don't want to mislead anyone in any way. I want to rightly divide your word. And I pray that the Holy Ghost would just really teach us the truth, Lord, as we combat that which is false today. And we'd ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. There is a teaching that is undermining so many colleges, uh, uh, so many colleges, I mean, in, in there in the churches as well as colleges, and it's called Calvinism. I spoke with one college president, and it's a very large Christian college, and he told me, he says, I have fired more Bible professors than all other faculties combined. And he says, the overwhelming majority, well over 90% of those Bible professors that I have fired have been Calvinists. He says, they lied to me to get in. And then he says, they focus in on your very best students. And they tried to disciple them privately to convert them to their way of thinking. And he said, I've had to fire them throughout the year, year after year. Now, of course, that is unethical. That, that is unethical for somebody to do that. But it's also, whether they realize it or not, it's an admission on their part. They don't realize they're admitting this, but they're admitting that they, rather than using the Bible and being honest, they can't do that. They've got to abandon honesty and Bible and underhandedly try to sneak this in, to come in unawares, so to speak, as the Bible says, to, to deceive people because it obviously isn't strong enough to do uh, honestly. Your Sunday school teachers in our Sunday school lessons are going to be teaching uh, over the next eight weeks lessons on Calvinism, basically what the words mean from the Bible. 
They're going to use the Bible. They'll show you what those things mean, and they'll uh, use Bible words, words that they like to use, like adoption, election. They'll be using some of those words, and they'll tell you what the Bible means by them. And so that's, that's uh, part of Calvinism. Now, perhaps you've heard of the tulip. You know, Tiny Tim tiptoes through those things, okay? But the TULIP is really an acronym of what they call the five points of Calvinism. And so this morning, I'm going to get it started, and then this afternoon, I'll continue in the 6 o'clock service uh, to elaborate on it. But just to lay it out for you, the TULIP is first T, is total depravity. It's followed with U, which is unconditional election. And then it's L, limited atonement. And then I, which is irresistible grace. And then P, which is perseverance of the saints. Now, rather than to argue with Calvinists, as a matter of fact, I've put it in the bulletin. I've told all of our Sunday school teachers that this is not to be discussed in class, after class. I want to go through the entire series until it's over, don't discuss. You say, why not? Well, one thing is that when you're going through this, uh, questions will come up and it'll get you off the subject. And Satan would love that. That's one of Satan's best thing is to make it sound intellectual so that they can deceive you to get off the subject and get away from what the Bible actually is saying. So that's why we want to see it covered entirely in the Sunday school classes. Secondly, uh, I found that a lot of questions are answered. And, and, and then the most important thing is this. The Bible instructs me as a pastor to teach others who will teach you. And that's what your uh, Sunday school teachers are doing. They're going to teach you what the Word of God says. And so it's all based on the Word of God. But I, what I want to do, since they're not looking at the five points, I want to address those five points both this morning and this evening. And so the first point is total depravity. The teaching. And let me say this. The teaching I did not get from fundamental Bible writers who are non-Calvinists. Every one of these definitions or teach, uh, what I tell you their, their teaching is comes from <clears throat> Calvinist uh, writings. Uh, I looked at several different ones. And because on each point like total depravity, they'll write four, five, six pages or more. And so I'm not going to read you four, five, six pages or more of what they believe because then it really does get confusing. So what I've done is I've gone through these, I've summed them up and tried to put them in a nutshell for you to see it. And then I'm going to elaborate on each one. The first teaching is this. Man by nature is dead. Romans 5, 12, wherefore is about one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death has passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And so we, we agree with that uh, scripture verse. Man, though, they go on to add, is so blind and deaf to this truth that he does not see himself as a sinner headed to hell. He can't see his need to be saved. If he is not elected and regenerated, they all use that. Word, those words, he will never receive the salvation in, of God that God offers no matter how many times he hears it. Now, 
One thing I've read from them, but also I've actually had a Calvinist that listens to our radio program and gets upset with me, says dead people can't respond. And that's their excuse that if a person is born spiritually dead, he can't respond until he's been regenerated first. Well, if you're regenerated first, uh, then, then you get saved. That doesn't make sense. The Bible always puts faith first. Bible always puts faith first. Now, what does the Bible actually say? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now, there is nothing in that passage that shows that this is just specific men, an elected group of men. It says that he would have all men to be saved. For example, I believe it's in verse 1 of that same chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 2, that uh, he would... that. Uh, prayers, thanksgiving, uh, intercession be made for all men, for all those that are in authority, etc., etc. Now, is it for all those that are elected that are in authority? For all those that uh, are one of God's elect in these other areas? No. You, I mean, it's clear. It's for all men. So why all of a sudden would there be a change in midstream to say that he would have all men to be saved, but it's just a group of men, not everybody? No, he doesn't say that. Doesn't imply it. It's not in the context, whatever. Not at all. Second th- uh, Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, God says all. All. Now, You either believe God or you don't believe God, but that's what God says. Uh, Let's move a little bit further. Uh, Revelation 22, 17 is our text, but let me start with verse 16 just ahead of that. I, Jesus. Now, who does that tell you speaking? (laughs) Jesus, right? He says, I, Jesus. So that tells us that Jesus is talking. I, Jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright morning star, and the spirit and the bride say come, and let him that hears say come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will let him come and take the water of life freely, for, now for is a connective word, okay? So this shows that Jesus is still talking. For, I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add to these things, God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and uh, from the things which are written in this book. He that testifieth, who's testifying these things? Well, Jesus Christ. He that testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly, period. Okay, what Jesus is saying to this point is what he has said. He has made these statements. The rest of it is uh, then the Apostle John, even so come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. Okay, but Jesus, we're told specifically, is saying these things in these verses. It's from Jesus Christ. And he said, whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. He said, even the Holy Spirit 
Even the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, and the bride, that is to say, the believers, the local church, the, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, well, come. Let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. That's the great invitation. Whosoever will may come. Now, let me ask a logical question then. When was Christ's blood shed? Well, we could all say approximately 2,000 years ago. We couldn't give the date nor the time. Uh, Some think they can, but we really don't have real proof of the actual date and time. But we do know about 2,000 years ago, his blood was shed. Now, Anybody that's lived around me any amount of time knows I'm a sinner. Okay. They know that. Quit shaking your heads. Um, They know that I'm a sinner. But I had not committed one sin when Jesus shed his blood. Not one. That's over 2,000 years ago. So I uh, I hadn't sinned one time when he was shedding his blood. And neither did you. Yet his blood was shed for my sin, my sin, and all the sin I ever have committed, and every sin I ever will commit, it was shed back then when I hadn't committed any sin. And you see, when you come to that point of it, we see that his blood then is applied. His blood is powerful. But it's not applied until I receive Christ as my Savior. Uh, And then, that's it. Well, election was before the foundation of the world. I I don't have anything, a problem with that. It was before the foundation. So was the plan to shed the blood of Jesus Christ. That was before the foundation of the world. I have no problem with either one of those things. I have no problem with the blood was applied to me when I received it, when I received Christ as Savior. And I have no problem with election was applied to me when I received Christ as Savior. Okay? It was applied. It was there, but it wasn't going to be for me if I do not receive Christ. In other words, he elected all of you before the foundation of the world, but it won't be for you if you don't receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's the way it goes. Now, listen to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Because uh, it says there, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Hmm. Without excuse? He's saying creation itself is a witness so that we're without excuse to not get saved? So how can they say they're without excuse if they were not elected to go to heaven? I mean, they'll, everyone give an account of themselves, they'll be at that white throne judgment if they're without Christ. And how can he say there's no excuse? There's no excuse 
for it when they can say, but Lord, I wanted to be saved. You just said, no, I can't be saved. You elected me not to get saved. That would be an excuse. Wouldn't you think so? If you believed in election, that it, some were predestined to be elected to go to heaven, some predestined to go to hell. If you believe that, then you've got to believe that that person could not be saved that was predestined to go to hell. So they are with excuse. God predestined him to go to hell. But then, that make all these verses that we've read so far to be wrong. And I don't know about you, but the God I worship doesn't lie. So, again, we've got to see that that would be a lie, and God doesn't lie. And so, again, the election has not to do with some being predestined to go to heaven or some predestined to go to hell. Are we totally depraved? Yes, we are. We are sinners who deserve to go to hell. We are born with a sin nature. And and so we are predestined to hell in that respect that if we don't receive Christ, we're going to hell. That's why you and I that are saved need to be witnesses to a lost and dying world. We deserve hell. Before an all-holy God, for the Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, that even our righteousnesses, all our righteousness, not just righteousnesses, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. Now, that's what the Bible says. You see, when people argue with that, they don't realize the holiness of God and that he's an all-holy God. The idea of I'm not so bad doesn't hold water when you're standing before God. uh, Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, there is none righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were made in God's image. In John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers of God shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. The Bible tells us that clearly. Is there any argument with that? No. The Bible says God is a spirit. We were made also in the image of God. So God is a spirit. We were made in the image of a spirit. That's, that's clear. He has a spirit that has a free will. Now, there are ways that we are no longer in his image, and that goes along with the fact that he is sinless and we are not. He is holy. He is pure. He is all love. Everything of any holiness, purity, and love that we have is tainted. His is absolute. But one thing that he created us with was a free will. A free will. He created man sinless. He did not create man righteous. Man was proven and man failed. And the progeny of Adam, since then, has inherited that same sin nature from Adam, not from God. It came from Adam's choice. But, again, 
We have a free will to decide, just like Adam when he fell. And after he fell, he could still hear God, listen to God, and make decisions based on what God said, and he had a free will to listen to it or not listen to it. I'll give you an example of being predestined. I was I get here on Sunday morning around seven o'clock, and one of the things I do is I'll go around and unlock the gymnasium door and 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 the lunchroom door, and then others do the other doors. But I go and do those for whatever reason. And one one Sunday morning, I walked in and I unlocked the gym, and I says, "Now I better disarm the alarm." So I went in there and disarmed the alarm. And then I says, you know, I'm going to stop in the restroom here a minute. And open the door. Now, those restrooms have automatic lights. As soon as you open the door, the light's supposed to come on. So I opened the door and walked in and went, whoop, did a flip backwards and landed flat on my back. And then the light comes on. (laughs) I am laying in a layer of soap on a hard tile floor. The soap dispenser evidently during the night had fallen, and that soap spread everywhere. So as soon as I hit it in, in a, my Sunday suit, I had to go home and change clothes, all right? Now, if I believed everything was predestined, I'd say, Phew, I'm glad that's over. I wouldn't need to get mad about the soap dispenser, about the light coming on late, or about anything going wrong because it was predestined. He said, that's stupid. It is. So being predestined to go to hell is just as stupid. Okay? Because the Bible doesn't teach it. That's why it is stupid. Okay? Uh, When I see the word predestined in Romans chapter 8, it's talking to me as a Christian, not as an unsaved man. It says I'm predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And he's doing that work in me to do that. In Psalms chapter 19 verse 7 it teaches that all nations that forget God will be turned into hell. Psalms 50 verse 22. Now consider this, ye that forget God lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Now if we are totally depraved and not really uh, predestined, then... Why should we even think that God would say that? What? I mean, wouldn't that be pretty dumb on God's side to make those statements if, if he had already predestined the nations to be cast into the hell? Why would he say, hey, if you forget God, what's going to happen to you? Think about it. All nations that forget God, this is going to happen to you. Why would he say that? If he already predestinated them to do that. See, our God is not an illogical God. Well, we have total depravity. I want to look at one other one real quickly. And and that is unconditional election. That's the you. The teaching is since man is totally depraved, no one is deserving of salvation. I agree with that. So God chose them, not based on their merit, but solely on God's love and grace. God, therefore, elected them before the creation of the world. Now, what he's saying is is that they didn't earn anything for God to elect them. That's true. 
But God only elected certain ones, not based on any merit of their own, it's just God's grace. The rest, you're going to hell. Now, Ephesians chapter 1 is one of the verses they like to use, and that's in verse uh, 4. He says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, again, that is a verse they use, and it's a good verse. Nothing wrong with the verse. Before the world, elected or chosen, election is an act of God when he chooses to set aside this old, depraved, sin nature that I have and elect the new nature that he will bestow upon me when I receive Christ as my Savior. Now, every one of you that are saved in here, you know that you still have an old nature. That old nature is not elected. God did not clean up your old nature when you got saved. He gave you a new nature. He gave you the new man. And that's the battle that we have the rest of our lives between the old and the new nature. And so, he set aside that to elect my new nature. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I received him by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Again, we're saved by Faith, grace through faith. We accept his offer of salvation. Thereby, he elects the new nature. Just like the blood of Jesus is not applied until I receive him. Election is not applied until I receive him. In Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25, we've got a great example of it. If you talk to most Calvinists, Probably their favorite man of God, it may be yours as well, is, is the Apostle Paul. Okay, Apostle Paul, boy, he was out there. He was the best Christian ever, as far as a lot of people are concerned. But Paul, in verses 15 through 25, after he's serving the Lord, after he's planted churches, after his ministry has moved quite along quite a way, he says, the good things that I would do, I end up not doing them. The bad things I wouldn't do, I end up doing them. He talked about that battle and then finally says, Oh, wretched man that I am. That old nature, he was serving the law of sin, but that new nature, the law of God. And so he realized it was up to him to walk according to the word of God. And you see, that old nature was not eradicated. So Paul said that. It's in the Bible, so it must be true that he did bad things that he did not want to do after his salvation. Is this holy and without blame before God? Paul was saved and predestined by an all-holy God to commit these sins anyhow? After he's saved? Did it please God for Paul to sin? I mean, God willed it. Or does Paul have a free will and his sin displeases God? How could I be called into an account for sin if God already willed for me to continue in it? 
It's like saying you got a free will, but you don't have a free will. It's crazy. Acts 17.30 and 31 says this, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men. What does all men mean? <laughs> all men. Okay. And there you say, well, you mean women are excluded? No, 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 no. No, it's got a masculine ending, but it can also include all men. Just like the world uh, sometimes is talking about this old ball that we live on. Other times it's talking about the people of the world. All men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. By that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. That's speaking of Jesus Christ, by the way. Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God's command for all men everywhere. All men everywhere means all men everywhere to repent. Why would you give such a stupid command and it would be stupid if you've already predestined men to go to hell? It does, that means that you have a senseless God. Do you serve a senseless God? No. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's the all-knowing God. He's the omnipotent God. You say, you don't know the sins I've committed. His power, his blood is greater than any sin that you ever have or ever will commit. He is the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. Some people say, you know, confession is good for the soul. Well, confession without repentance one that doesn't change somebody's attitude and actions, what good is it? How many times has a little kid, when they're about to get in trouble, says, Oh, I'm sorry, I did that, I'm sorry. That is, please don't whip me, please don't whip me. <laughs> he doesn't say it that way, but, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, because he knows he deserves a whipping. I know I deserve to go to hell. But I can't just say, Jesus saved me and I'm going to just continue in this life. It doesn't work that way. You see, confession is good for the soul, but it's only good for the soul to say, I need a Savior. I'm willing for God to come to my heart and life and change me and make me what I ought to be. And if you're not willing for that, then you're not saved. See, asking the Lord into your heart to save you is not words like hocus pocus, dynamimocus. I never knew what, I might have been just cussing. I don't know what those words mean. But I remember they always said that when I was growing up. Hocus pocus. I have no idea what, but they, we always associate that with magic. Okay, now. Saying, Jesus, come to my heart, it's not hocus-pocus words. It says, I can just go live like I want to. I said the right words. Uh-uh. We have wedding rehearsals. They say all the right words in the wedding rehearsal. But when they walk out of here, they're not, they're not married. 
It's the next day when you have the witnesses and, and, and they say, I do. And, 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 and we say, okay, they pronounce you man and wife. Now they're married, they've made that commitment. The night before when they left, one went one way, one went another way. But this day, they walk out together and they go away together. You see, when I come to Christ to be saved from my sin, I'm turning to him, I'm turning from the world. Now I'm turning to walk with him the days of my life. Can I get off the course? Yeah. He will never leave me. I may leave him. But you know what? He's got a rod that's a lot longer than I can walk. And he says, I chasten those that are my own. If you read without chastisement, then you're not really his to begin with. You say, well, how does God spank you, so to speak? Well, sometimes it's just conviction. Sometimes it's sickness. Now, I don't believe everybody got sick. Ah, they committed a sin. They wouldn't be sick. Well, you'd have to say that about everybody laying in a grave out there. If they hadn't messed up, they wouldn't be dead. No, God is a God of common sense. What I'm saying is, is that you are turning to Jesus Christ with your whole heart and life. That's what you're doing. And his promise is right back in our text. And the Spirit. Remember the Holy Spirit in John 16, his ministry, whatsoever Christ would tell him, he would tell us. The Spirit and the Bride. Why? Because the Spirit works through the local church, the believer, the saved person. The Spirit and the Bride. If you're saved, you're part of the Bride of Christ. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. <laughs> this going out over radio, internet. They may never walk inside this church, but they can end up getting saved as a result of what they heard. Let him that hears say come. And let him that is a thirst come. They may be in a country, they may be in a place where there's no gospel witness. But he said if you'd seek him, he would be found of you. And whosoever will, let him come. And take of the water of life freely. I believe God. Do you. If you're not sure if you died today. That heaven's your home. I don't care how deep you've gone into sin. All that says is that God just. Is going to still. Prove his amazing grace. Because he's going to cleanse you. If you'll let him do it. He'll save you. He'll change you. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Man won't forgive you. Man won't let you forget. But hey, don't live your life on man's opinion. Live your life on God's truth. He loves you. Let's bow our heads, please.